Welcome to the Pain-Free Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah Heller, and if there's one thing I've learned after being a fitness and health professional and a chronic pain sufferer for over a decade, it's that every body is unique. On this show, I sit down with health and wellness experts in an effort to gather as many different perspectives, journeys, and philosophies as possible. Join me in cultivating a collective growth mindset and challenge yourself to take away just one key point from each episode that inspires you to think or behave differently. Have a pain-free day and enjoy this episode. What is going on, beautiful people? Welcome to the Pain-Free Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah, and as you all know by now, my goal in life is to create a collective growth mindset in the fitness and wellness industry, and I think that the way that we get started on the path to doing that is by really trying to have a lot of uh, interesting conversations with people from unique backgrounds and who have unique perspectives and even people whose perspectives differ from mine. And I'm really excited to have my guest on today, uh, Matt Scarfo. Um, He is a human performance and corrective exercise specialist, an endurance athlete, a business owner, an optimist, a potentialist, I love that word, and an infinite thinker. Um, What I love about Matt, and you'll kind of probably hear this as we go through our conversation, is that he really does walk the walk. And I think we're going to have a really cool conversation. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, of course. So you have a really awesome presence online. And that's one of the things that made me want to talk to you more because you have a really strong message and it seems like you are really committed to your mission. And I find that people that are so committed to their own mission in health and wellness, they tend to have a pretty cool story behind that. So can you talk to me a little bit about why um, health and fitness is important to you? What role it plays in your life? Sure. Uh, So I got into the fitness industry shortly after I got into exercise. I was 19 years old. Um, I was kicking up dust, causing a lot of trouble as a kid. And I was working out in my parents' basement where I lived at the time. And my mom came downstairs and she said, I I know what you're doing and it's not okay. I know that you know that I know what you're doing and that's really not okay. So why don't you get your crap together and you enjoy working out, you exercise all the time, you're very well read, why don't you go be a personal trainer? And this was before, being a personal trainer was really the thing to be. So I went and I I studied my ass off. I got my first certification. It was ACE. And um, since then, I I used that really as a license to explore my own curiosities when it comes to exercise and our adaptations for stress and the way that we, our bodies really accommodate for the things that we do to it in order to adapt and and adapt to the environment that that we simulate, that we put in it. So you know, I, I was really more of a weightlifter, bodybuilder, more focused on aesthetics as I was in my 20s, as most guys are. And once I got married and decided to start a family, for me, it was really more about keeping the machine healthy and balanced and dynamic and not just to have a single faceted approach to fitness. So I started doing legs, which I which I neglected like a lot of 20 year olds do. Um, I started running and it got me into 
a, a place where I found a tremendous benefit to my mental health. It, it let me get away. It allowed me to find a flow state and, and really more of a meditative space than a, than a physically reconstructive space. So I got into ultra running not too long ago, but prior to that, it was really more endurance type activities. And I've been known to do a mile or two of walking lunges, a mile or two of tire flips, really anything that sucks. Um, and that allows me to kind of bring myself back to center mentally in order to continue on what might be a, a very long way to go. So for me, it's, it's really more meditative. And by stressing my body, it allows me to, to really separate my mind from my body, treat them as two separate and, and almost mutually exclusive arenas for, for focus. And in doing that, it's, it's really it piqued my interest. I mean, now I'm doing, I'm doing them for a while. I haven't taken a cold, I haven't taken a warm shower in months. I, you know, I do cold showers. I do uh, ice baths. I do things like things like that. And, um, and I found it interesting and my clients get a huge benefit from it too. If not from the novel aspect of it, then from the actual performance enhancement aspects of it too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. And it sounds like, you know, something I'm, I'm hearing you say is that your focus on kind of your why has shifted as you've become, you know, a, a father and a husband and all of that. And I'm curious how, how the the things that you're doing. So the stuff that you talked about that I'm like, wow, that it sounds really hardcore <laughs> to me. Um, how does that kind of help you in, in your life and help move you closer to that, that why of being like a better husband, better father, all of that stuff. That's an awesome question. I think, I, I think that the primary benefit that it has is an emotional one and even a spiritual one, because and we could talk about it later or in another time. I mean, in terms of what we're capable of as individuals, I, I think that we sell ourselves short intentionally, um, different people for different reasons. But for me, it, it allows me to find my center. It allows me to find my base. And I'm, I'm pretty wound up generally. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Gemini, so it really depends on the minute, depends on the version of me that you're going to get. And I like to find an average of the two. And the only way I can find an average of, you know, between being completely subdued and completely manic is to, the way I explain it is to just beat it out of me. So I find a spot during my exercises or during my workouts that allow me to, to really have to focus because I'm, I'm in that place. I'm in, perhaps I'm in the pain cave or where things are just really challenging at that point. It's hot. I'm sweating things, my muscles burn and my body's starting to fall apart. But in, in training myself to find that, that middle ground again, it, it's allowed me as a parent and as a husband to, to more easily seek that spot out when I find myself getting frustrated or anxious or I'm starting to boil because the kids aren't listening and you know my, my mind is starting to go crazy. So it, it really helps me. It's an exercise. It is much like yoga where the purpose of yoga and meditation is to allow your mind to drift so long as you can exercise the skill of bringing it back to complete silence and complete serenity. So it's very much the same in the exercise where my mind will get away from me and, and I'll feel like things are getting hard, but I just remind myself that I'm 30 whatever minutes in. If I'm doing it 
at this intensity and it's a non-destructive load and it's also a sustainable load i can do it forever as long as i keep my mind in the game and i bring it back to a place of serenity and a place of of silence and focus so applying that to being a parent applying that to being a husband and a life partner allows me to present myself to my family and my loved ones and the people around me in, in a balanced kind of way where I feel like if I didn't have that or I didn't practice that skill, it would be, my, my life would be very much different. I mean, it's really a medication of sorts. It's, um, you know, it, it allows me to, to be who I want to be in front of the people that depend on me. And whether that be clients, family, friends, whoever, it, it's, um, it's allowed me to really train myself to to regain that balance when it's not so easy and when there's a lot of distractions whether it be physical pain or emotional uh distractions or you know kids screaming in the background i'm trying to get stuff done so it's um it's definitely it's helped it's helped me practice and develop the skill of of just finding my center again whether it be personal relationships or workouts or otherwise that is, that's fascinating and, and really beautifully put. And I think something that, something that I'm getting from, from what you just said is a point that ties into something that I work with my clients a lot on because my primary demographic is people with chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And a part of what we have to train people to do is change their perspective about that pain. And that doesn't mean that you ignore it because I do think toxic positivity is real, you know, just saying, no, I'm not in pain. Everything's fine. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. in any circumstance, I think is probably a pretty bad practice and gets us into some, some bad habits psychologically, but there's a process of practicing radical acceptance for that pain that you're in, but then also recognizing that there's a lot of other tools that are available to you that you can use. And it sounds like there are some parallels there with totally. what you do with almost, you know, intentionally putting yourself in these uncomfortable situations and with people that might just be mm -hmm. there at rest. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm curious to hear from you, you know, when you first started to shift into maybe doing some more of the, I don't know another, a better word for it, but maybe the quote unquote extreme activities. What was the perspective change like for you? And what was that process like on a timeline of just becoming okay with it? So I've always I, been a masochist of sorts. And I think that anybody that exercises or, or works out or, or puts themselves in situations where things get uncomfortable or things hurt or perhaps fearful, you know, it, it's, it's an adrenaline rush of sorts. So it was, it was kind of a natural transition for me, but the way that I reasoned it and, and, and being a trainer and being educated as a trainer and having experience as a trainer for as long as I have has given me the insight into it. And that's that if, if we're moving at a, at a non-destructive intensity, at a metabolically sustainable pace with regard to cardio and endurance stuff, then we could effectively do things indefinitely, so long as we just keep our minds out of it. 
or at least we figure out a way to manage that voice that's in our head and and not necessarily ignore it to your point about the pain but to to rationalize it so for example i think pain tolerance is is highly subjective and i think that it's it's highly dynamic as well some days you bang your knee on the table and it it, it doesn't hurt and whether that's because you're distracted or you're in a rush to get somewhere you brush right over it but other days things tend to hurt a whole lot more. And I like to play in the arbitrage and that gap in between and, and suggest to myself that, you know, it, it hurts right now, but it, under, different, under different mindset, it might not hurt at all. So to pay attention to what is extremely uncomfortable versus what is even marginally painful, I think is important to make the distinction between the two. I, I do believe that we we decide the things that we end up dying from by the things that we end up fixating on. And I too work with a lot of clients with chronic pain. I mean, I've worked with prosthesis recipients and people that have had fusions and shoulder surgeries and so on. And the thing that I tell them is the thing that I tell myself over and over and that it's it's not a problem unless it's a problem. So, you know, the lights might be flashing and the alarms might be going off, but if there's no smoke and there's no fire, then it's simply our perception or perhaps our subconscious trying to lead us in a particular direction that, that isn't conducive to our ultimate goal. So switching into more of the, the endurance kind of painful things that, that I do, I mean, I've, I've found, and maybe I'm one of the lucky ones, I, I found that if I can work through the pain or, or meet it head on rather than skirt around it, just the overall systemic body discomfort and body pain that, that I feel and other endurance athletes feel when they do their stuff, eventually it stops barking at you and, and the universe says, okay, well, that didn't work. So I'm just going to step out of the way and let you get to where you want to go. Now, obviously, if it's impacting your movement symmetry and it's impacting your performance and you can't get on top of it, it's important to stop. Uh, for a hundred different reasons, but I've, I've pretty much a firm believer that at least in my own fitness and in my own experience, that nothing is really that bad. And that if, if I can push through it for long enough, it eventually disappears. Now I've got my own issues. I've got degenerative arthritis in T6 through T10. I've got herniated discs. I've got stenosis. I've got classic sciatica. Um, shoulder issue from from years ago. I mean, I've got all of these things, but but finding a place where they don't really, I don't allow them to give my equation any input or at least affect the outcome. Uh, again, only worrying about it when it becomes a problem, not anticipating it being a problem, because I feel like when we do that, we do set ourselves up for a certain future that includes greater and, and more prolonged pain. Um, really just paying attention to you know, is it an issue or is it just want my attention? And then once I've got that answer, addressing it accordingly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And something that is critical that you just touched on is the perception aspect, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. even with, you know, some of the, a lot of the research that's happening right now if you put people under like a, a brain scanning um, technology, right? And you look at someone who is focusing on the negative pieces of their pain. And then you look at another person who maybe has the same exact injury and, and is in a very similar physical state, 
but they're not focusing on the negative aspects of that. They're maybe focusing on the things they can do. They're using different language that sounds more positive, right? So it's not, here's all the things I can't do anymore because my back hurts or because my knee hurts or all of this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You will actually see a difference in brain activity between those two people and kind of where their brains are lighting up. And if you talk to those two different people, and you give them a pain scale, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how much pain are you in? The person that's using more positive language and not focusing quite as much on all of the negative pieces of what they're feeling, they're going to report much lower levels of that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that is really important. And again, it's not toxic positivity. It's not saying, no, it's not there. It's just kind of changing your perspective on that. And, um, something that I, that I usually have people do is kind of think about what's, what's your movement menu right now? Mm. You know what I mean? What can you do today? Because there's a lot of things that you can't do and we can talk about that, but what can you do? And let's come up with some creative solutions to utilize that stuff instead. You know, I think and that right there is the, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. I think that right there is probably the cause and the cure for, for example, fibromyalgia, right? Which is a, it's a syndrome. It's a constellation of symptoms that we can't quite put our finger on, but we, we know that it checks however many boxes on this diagnostic list. And, you know, I, I think any one of us, and it's a very real condition. I don't mean to minimize its, you know, its impact on people's lives and how it's negatively affected them and their relationships and their lives and, and how real it really is. But I think that any one of us could really sit down and if we find, if we focus on the internal space as opposed to the external space, we could find half a dozen or so things that, that if we focus on bad enough, we can bring them to an almost imperceptible amount of discomfort to a 10 on a scale of one to 10, simply just by meditating on it and thanking it. And in that is in fact the strength because given the right tools and the right strategy, you can do the exact opposite. I mean, you could almost hypnotize yourself to, again, not ignore a real problem, but to, but to temper and perhaps recalibrate your perception of the feelings that, that discomfort is, is, is making you feel. So brilliantly put, I, I think that's a, that's a fantastic point you just made. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I would love to hear from you too. How do you know, or how do you kind of cue your clients to know when they, or when you are crossing the line from kind of being ambitious and pushing the margins of your potential into maybe doing damage? How do you discern between the two? Well, I think that I think it really depends on the kind of client that we're dealing with. I tell generally, um, I tell my clients that obviously we expect discomfort and varying degrees of discomfort, but pain is never okay. And, and I think that's a pretty solid rule to live by. There, there are exceptions to that rule. Um, I think that I'm one of them where I, I like to push the limits and, I, and I've got clients that are, that are similar to me in the sense where something is hurting them, something is obviously causing them pain and discomfort. It's affecting their movement. It's affecting their symmetry. It's affecting their performance. And 
they're, they're kind of stuck in that in their own head until I bring attention to it. And then they're able to almost find a separate kind of reality where those pains don't exist and they work through it. And without consequence, after the workout's over, they're not now dealing with the adrenaline wearing off and this pain representing itself. That pain is in fact gone. So I think that, I think it's a matter of, of the type of client that we're working with. I mean, some people are able to peel the onion back far enough to realize that that there really isn't anything that they can't do. And some are a little bit more sensitive to, to pain and discomfort. So my, my general answer to that would be if it's uncomfortable, we expect that if it's painful, you need to stop because I think a large portion of, of, of clients of Americans of people are afraid of an injury, an old injury coming back and with bigger teeth and causing a greater problem. And because they're so fixated on it, it will end up being an issue for them where by being able to, to gauge their perception of what that pain might be and perhaps redefine that pain better as a great discomfort, they'd be able to walk through, work themselves through it. But, the, but there's a liability component of that as well. And you're telling a client that this hurts and, and that's okay, keep going, keep going. If they've already got that poison in their head that tells them that this is only getting worse, it's only getting worse, then it'll in fact only get worse. If you've got the type of client who can really put that out of their mind and, and almost re-zero the scale and take it moment by moment, I think those are the clients that deal better with the higher levels of discomfort and, and can almost redefine their pain in a way that allows them to continue and, and doesn't cause a problem for them later on. And when you say kind of redefine the pain, because this is a this is a really interesting perspective because it differs from mine. And I, I love to, to kind of push on that a little bit more just because I might learn something. But when sure. you say um, to kind of redefine the pain or um, maybe get people to change their perspective to a point where they're shifting from pain to a discomfort. I guess my, my next question would be, you know, let's, let's say someone is in pain or they're, they're, dealing, they're dealing with something that's kind of persistent and there might be a physical issue present. If that is getting worse legitimately, what do you have people do uh, outside of just kind of shifting their perspective to, no, it's not that bad. Do you incorporate any corrective stuff? Like what, what's the path you might go on with that person? Sure. So I think that obviously if, if, there's, if the physical structure continues to deteriorate, there's, there's really not much that you can do by working through it that's going to solve the problem or even help manage the problem. We're going to contribute to the problem. But I'm a firm believer that, that we, we see what we expect to see. And for example, I've got um, L3 is um, my lumbar spine. L3 is just about completely deteriorated. Uh, L4, L5, there's really no disc in between those two. If you looked at it on an x-ray, they look black. Um, they're really in bad shape. And, and that's continuing to deteriorate over time. Now, it's, it's hard to say if the things that I'm doing are contributing to the, the deterioration of, of those structures. And I'm sure that it is in a way. 
Now, completely irresponsible. I don't recommend this to anybody at all. You'd probably punch me in the face for it if I was sitting next to you right now. That way, way back, I was probably seven or eight years after the injury that precipitated the degeneration of the vertebrae that I've got in my back. I went to the orthopedist and great orthopedist, great practice. And she said, well, you are, you're a candidate for a fusion um, and you probably should go see our surgeon and do a consultation with him. Okay, great. So I did that. A young guy spoke my language, kind of gets me. And he said, yeah, you know, we should probably, uh, and what is it? The um, a laminectomy and a discotomy are not, they're just, it wouldn't be a good idea for you. We have to, we would have to fuse you. And I said, well, what happens, what's going to happen up until that point? Do I have to worry about my spine breaking and severing my spinal column? He said, no, just one day you're going to be in excruciating pain and you won't walk. So I asked him, is the procedure to correct that any different than if we were to do it right now? He said, no, not at all. So I said, okay, well, it, I'm extremely uncomfortable, but I can't justify getting a fusion and taking eight to 12 weeks off. I've, I had a young, my, my young, my oldest was barely even a year old at that point. And I didn't want to take that time off from her. Plus the risks that are involved, you could get dropped foot. There's other uh, issues that men might actually get from having a, um, a lumbar fusion uh, with regard to like reproductive issues that we might have. I think one of them is called um, like an ejaculate prolapse or something like that, where, you know, you probably put two and two together. But these are things that I didn't want to, I really didn't want to face unless I had to. So I said, all right, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to beat the shit out of myself until one day I have no choice but to get the fusion. And when I have no choices, when I'll get it done. But right now, while it's up to me, um, I'm just going to ride this thing out as far as I can. So I started, I, I just, that's pretty much when I started doing the crazy things that I was doing almost as a way to accelerate the timeline and get myself to a point where I would have to have that done. And look. Lo and behold, here I am seven or eight years later, best shape of my life every single day of my life. And uh, knock on wood, haven't had to go and have that procedure done yet. So I don't know if, if what I'm doing is accelerating the deterioration. I think there's an argument for that. But the deterioration hasn't been so significant that I've had to go get the surgery yet. And as far as the surgeon's concerned, he said that this very well could just be the natural degeneration of it. And what I'm doing might be making it stronger and, and slowing that, that process down, or it could be accelerating it. He doesn't know, but he would have expected that if it was accelerating it, it would have been a problem by now. So for my own determination between pain and discomfort, and redefining it, it, it again goes back to me really just asking myself, like, is it a problem? Because if it's not a if it's a nuisance, it's a nuisance. If it's a problem, then it needs to be addressed. And really taking a moment by moment snapshot, not relying on my past or my history or my experience to tell me that what this should be or what this is going to be, but rather looking at it in the very moment that I'm in right now, you know, in, in that in that infinitely small space between you know, what's the future and the past, which is where we all really live. And if we can find that present moment, asking ourselves, is it an issue in this present moment? And if it's not being sure not to anticipate it or expect it to get worse, because it might not, if I just leave that part of the universe alone and I don't poke the bear, the bear won't wake up, but we can put ourselves in some pretty interesting places just by way of thought experiment. 
And I don't want to, I, I encourage my clients not to, and I certainly don't want to play a thought experiment where the outcome is, is going to be negative no matter what. So relying on just what I'm able to perceive right now and deciding if it's an issue or not, rather than expecting it to be or anticipating it to be. That is, that's really powerful. And this is something that I love about the fitness and health industry is that there are so many different perspectives. So I think something that I've learned as a practitioner, you know, being in the industry for over a decade at this point, it's that there's some perspectives and kind of people that might come to me that might not be like the best fit to work with me, right? Like some of what, what hearing you talk, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've had clients that have that same perspective as you have, right? And I've made the mistake in the past of using my approach with them. And I take a much more conservative approach in general, which it's very much like, let's pull you back. Let's start from square one. Let's build from there, right? And when you talk to someone who maybe has more of, uh, speaks your language a little bit more, that's going to completely scare them away. <laughs> and so now what I might do is I might say, okay, like the language that you're using, I can tell that maybe my approach is not going to work well for you. And I might refer them to you because you'll be able to speak their language more. Right. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing. Like there's so many different perspectives and there's not one that's right. You know, so, I agree. And, yeah. and I think that to your point, and you mentioned it, and I think it's really important for your audience and listeners and for everybody else for that matter, is that square one is in fact square one. And a lot of people, particularly those with pre-existing injuries or a predisposition for certain injuries, end up letting their ego take the reins and saying, well, it's not necessary for me to start in such a remedial place. I can start from say square two, three, four, five. And what ends up happening, I, I use a stock term, is that eventually you have to go back and you have to fill the gap. So you might start at square two and make it to square six, but you never reconciled what needs to happen in square one. So inevitably, you're going to have to go back to square one, whether you like it or not, something is going to happen to force you there. And where that square one is always without exception is it starts with your neurological system. It starts with your body awareness. It starts with your ability to perceive yourself in space, doing movements through space and, and feeling symmetrical weight on your feet when you do an exercise or the bar on your palms symmetrically. Like it really starts there because if you don't have, or you didn't nurture those motor neural pathways that, that are so necessary for us to be able to move properly, then you're going to have to go back and pay the piper at one point or another. So these people that say, well, you know, it, squatting like this doesn't hurt my knees. No, but you still lack the spatial awareness and the body awareness to be able to move in a proper way, where as you begin to load that bar, who's to say that it's not going to cause you pain? And I, I've seen it, you've seen it, that more often than not, the people that are super eager need to be super eager about the process and not the outcome, because that's when people end up getting ahead of themselves. They feel like you're perhaps taking too conservative of an approach and you end up 
losing the relationship with them as a client. They go on their own. Now they're at, they've hurt themselves and they're too embarrassed to come back and talk to you because you would really help them at that point. Or they've ended up injuring themselves because you asked them if they're okay and they're lying to you. And, and then some sort of catastrophic structural failure ends up happening. So square one is square one. And, and really, if you spend twice as much time as you need to there, you'll be able to spend half as much time as you need to in all the successive steps. So it's, it's super important to just make sure you start from the beginning. And if you're not sure where the beginning is, take two steps back and, and start from there. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think people's ego, it's a... Uh, it's a tough thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the ego can be can be challenging, especially if you're legitimately trying to heal. Um, and I, I see that happen over and over again. And I, I think it's really important if you are a practitioner or a trainer listening to this, really kind of defining what your language is and being able to discern if a client is a good fit for you. And if not, like who can you refer them to that might actually speak their language a little bit more so that you know, if, if someone has a more extreme mindset or likes to push through things, um, you might be able to talk to them and get to kind of get them back to maybe square one or square two easier than I might be able to, you know, just mm -hmm. because my language is not going to jive with them. And I think that's really important to just acknowledge, you know. Um, Absolutely. So something that you brought up earlier in the episode that I want to touch on because I have not had any guests talk about this yet is cold therapy, largely because mm -hmm. it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really unpleasant. And I want to, I just want you to kind of talk to me about some of the benefits of that.